welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Joe Anity. I serve as pastor at Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church in Hemet, California, and I'm joined today by Jerry Slate, pastor of Berean Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and also chairman of Reformed Baptist Mission Services, uh, which is the foreign missions arm of ARBCA, or the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America. So, Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. You're so very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure, brother. Uh, now, the purpose of this interview is to expose the listener to uh, Reformed Baptist Mission Services, which we'll probably refer to from now on as uh, RBMS. Uh, but before we get there, Jerry, I was wondering if you would be willing to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your family, your church. Uh, I think it'd be helpful to the listener to to know something about you, brother, before we get into the meat of this episode. Absolutely. Well, I'm 48 years old and was born and raised in Northwest Atlanta in Georgia. I was born in Marietta and raised in a city called Powder Springs. And I actually still live in Powder Springs with my wife and six children. Uh, Angela and I married in the year 1993 and God's blessed us with six kids. We have four sons and two daughters. Our children ranged age from 20 down to six. And uh, my wife homeschools them. Uh, we planted the church, Berean Baptist Church, uh, 15 and a half years ago. I've served as the church planning pastor and been with the church ever since that time. Um, for the first 14 years of my ministry, I was bivocational, and I worked in construction uh, as on the side. I would tell people I was a full-time pastor who had to work on the side to pay the bills. But through God's provision in the last year and a half, I've been able to be supported full-time by the church as a pastor. And so that's the basic uh, basic gist of my background and who I am. Was the uh, church plant an ARBCA church plant? It was not. We were not a part of ARBCA originally. We became uh, we joined ARBCA in 2009. The church was started in 2003. Okay. Uh, so. How did you come to faith in Christ? I am the youngest of three children and uh, two older sisters, and I was raised in a godly Christian home. My mom had come to faith in Christ about six months after her and my dad got married. But uh, my father was a false convert when I was a child. And uh, his marriage with mom was beginning to fall apart. And they were active members of a local Southern Baptist church near here. And he was very active there and was even involved in various leadership uh, avenues. But a preacher came through who was preaching a series of messages and confronted my dad one night. My dad came up to him to thank him for the message. And the man looked at my dad, and I don't know how he discerned or picked up that something was amiss, but he said to my dad, are you saved? And my dad was shocked by the question, and he said, well, yes, amen. And he said, are you saved? And the Lord used that to begin troubling him in his conscience. He wrestled for many, many uh, days with his own soul until he was able by grace to close with Christ. So my dad went from being a false convert to a true convert when I was about four or five years of age. And one of my earliest memories is, was of him being um, baptized as a true believer in the church. And so I was raised in the context of my dad being truly regenerate, knowing the Lord, and being the spiritual leader of our home. And when I was about six years old, my parents uh, began having me in the practice of uh, reading the scriptures each day and praying. And I believe that that's discipline was much of how the Lord used what it, much of what he used to bring me to faith in Christ. Um, when I was around seven years old, eight years old, I began wrestling with my soul and asking my dad, uh, basically, what must I do to be saved? 
And he would say, well, I'm not going to tell you, which doesn't seem like a great evangelistic method, but uh, nonetheless, he wanted me, he wanted to see if there was a true drawing going on in my life. And that just made me hungrier to know what it was to know the Lord. And after many months of wrestling with my soul, he allowed me to watch a evangelist on television. It was actually Billy Graham uh, preaching the gospel. And I was converted to Christ as an eight-year-old child in December of 1977 and then was baptized the following summer and added to the membership of the Southern Baptist Church that we were a part of at that time. I love asking that question. Uh, our testimonies are all so different, you know, and uh, uh, it's really encouraging to hear the testimonies of those who are in ministry now, uh, how the Lord drew them to faith. Uh, so thank you for that, brother. I appreciate it very much. Um, praise the Lord. He's faithful. Um, but would you tell us about RBMS then? Uh, tell us something about the history and purpose of, of this organization. Yes, Reform Baptist Mission Services was founded in the year 1985 by a group of uh, reformed, uh, confessional reformed Baptist churches. Uh, basically, the purpose of RBMS is it was brought under the auspices of ARPCA in the year 2000. And so, basically, uh, we are tasked with overseeing all matters pertaining to the promotion, the establishment, and maintenance of world missions within the Association of Churches. And that includes the aspect of equipping our churches uh, to do the work of missions. And so that's where RBMS's history has been. So we're just over 30 years old. Um, and, um, and so that's, that's been the basic, that's just the basic overview there. Sure. Okay. So RBMS, um, existed long before ARBCA that's existed. Correct. In fact, ARBCA in some ways developed out of RBMS. Am I right? And stay that, that is correct. In the 1990s, at the end of a uh, RBMS uh, conference, several men gathered in the parking lot afterwards and were after one of the you know, evening meetings, and they were talking about how much they loved RBMS, but how they wanted to be able to have an a association that focused on more than missions, that could do things like be involved in ministerial training, uh, local church planting, literature publication, so to make it even in a bigger tent than what we were doing at the time. And out of that, ARPCA was born, and ARPCA was established in 1997, and then RBMS was officially brought under its uh, auspices in 2000. Okay. Really strange for a group of Calvinists who don't care at all about evangelism or missions to do something like this, <laughs> wouldn't you say, brother? That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I sometimes wish, I, I oftentimes wish people would study church history, too, and in the history of world missions. You find a lot of... Uh, a lot of Calvinists there, you know, spearheading uh, missions work, and uh, RBMS is another example of that. Uh, so praise the Lord. I, I, maybe I shouldn't be so sarcastic here, but sometimes that's <laughs> helpful. Um, yeah, so I, I've heard uh, those in leadership positions, including you, uh, Jerry, um, in, in leadership positions within RBMS boast, and I, you know, jokingly say that, boast saying RBMS has never sent a missionary. And uh, I remember the first time I heard it, it did really catch my attention. I thought, what in the world, you know, how could that be a boast of a, a mission right. service? Um, but but why is this something the organization is proud of? Uh, what is meant by it? Why is this something that the organization is actually proud of? Right. Uh, That's a very good question. Uh, RBMS was never founded as a recruiting or sending agency, but rather, as our name implies, a service agency. Because we believe that missions should be local church-based, that the local church itself should recognize and lay hands upon 
those they believe God is calling to the mission field and to send those men and to retain the oversight of those men as they go out. RBMS is meant to come alongside to help service those men and help the churches as they send men out, but it is the church itself that retains the oversight over the missionaries that are sent. And much of that has to do with even the nature of what a missionary is supposed to do. Um, missions in our own day, as you know, is very all-theological. Um, a lot of missions is about going out, doing, giving humanitarian aid, and as important as that is, uh, giving humanitarian aid and getting people to get decisions up for Jesus, basically. Mm-hmm. Rather than what Scripture shows us, the, the scriptural pattern, the apostolic pattern we see, is that the men sent out are men who are qualified to be pastors and church planters. And they go into an unreached people group to preach the gospel among people who've not heard. And then as people are converted to baptize them and to establish local churches, and then to mentor men, faithful men within the church, to become indigenous elders. So the ultimate goal of our church planters or our missionaries is to plant churches and to see them self-governing, self-supporting and self-propagating, and then to move on to plant yet another church, and another church after that, and another church after that, until the glory of God fills the world as the waters fill the sea. And that's the ultimate goal of what our missionaries are doing. So why does RBMS believe that the local church is to send missionaries as opposed to some agency? I mean, where does this, uh, where does this insistence uh, come from? Well, and part of it is looking at the book of Acts, which... The book of Acts, we recognize, certainly is infallibly descriptive. Not all of the book of Acts, just as with all historical narrative in the Scripture, is not meant to be prescriptive per se. But nonetheless, that being said, we can learn much from how God himself called the first New Testament missionaries and sent them out, uh, Barnabas and Saul being those first two men. Let me read from the Scriptures from Acts chapter 12, verse 25, through chapter 13, verse 3. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And then the very next verse says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now the point here is that these two missionaries were called by God himself. Their calling did not come from men, but from God. And yet the extraordinary thing is that when it was time for these two men to be sent out, God did not speak to Barnabas and Saul and say, go. He spoke to their local church in Antioch and said, send. Mm-hmm. separate from me, Paul and Barnabas. So they had a hand in this. And as a matter of fact, throughout the book of Acts, the way we know that Paul had three missionary journeys is what demarcates those different journeys is he returns to Antioch right. to report of the things God had done. So there was an accountability. And you can imagine being the church at Antioch and you haven't seen you know Paul and Barnabas for all this time. And they come back and they start telling you about all these churches that existed you know, they came to existence that did not exist before. I was moving among the Gentiles. So we have a precedent, a pattern of churches being actively involved in missions and in the sending process. And so we believe that's the way it should be today. Right. So you're telling me that the reason is primarily, primarily biblical. Uh, this is the pattern that we see 
uh, set forth in Holy Scriptures, that it's the local church that is to send out missionaries. Uh, local churches are to plant local churches locally and to the ends of the earth. So, so it's biblical. Yes. Do, do you make any sort of practical argument for uh, sending out from the local church, or do you not even mention it? Well, I would say because of the nature of a missionary is that he is to be a church planter. That gets into his qualifications, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And the man is the man qualified with the necessary desire, graces, and gifts that are necessary uh, for being a pastor and a church planter. And uh, and if and if that's what your your uh, goal is, then who is it who is supposed to examine men to see if uh, about their fitness for ministry? Right. And again, this is another biblical argument that the church itself who knows them, I mean, even in the church in Antioch, you have Paul and Barnabas ministering there. It's while they ministered among these people that the Spirit of God made it obvious that they were to be sent out. And so the same thing holds true in the local church, that missionaries need to be evaluated by men who know them, men who live among them, and can see their their, uh, conduct, their manner of life, their character, uh, their giftedness, and all those kinds of things. So, again, it's another biblical argument, but it also runs into a very practical argument because it begs the question, what are we trying to accomplish? So the model here is that uh, men are called by God uh, to, to do this kind of work, this kind of ministry, but within the context of the local church. Uh, so the local church recognizes this and, and begins to work to sending them out. Where does the association come into play, though? RBMS is the missionary or the missions arm of ARBCA. Where does the association come into play uh, in all of this? Yes, sir. That's a very good question. Um, RBMS, you know, uh, any member church of ARBCA can send out any man they want to to the mission field. But in order to come under the banner of RBMS, they must be evaluated by the RBMS committee. Uh, so we would interview them in a very intensive uh, interview process and, and uh, their, their wives as well uh, and basically come to a, you know, a judgment as to whether or not we agree that they should be placed under the banner of RBMS. Once we as a committee have made that decision, our decision goes on to the administrative council who then makes a final decision as to whether or not they can be under the banner of RBMS or not. Now, the church is still free to send out their missionary, even if they're not under the RBMS banner. But in order to have RBMS support, they would have to be accepted uh, by the RBMS committee. And then we seek to help them in any way we can with any kind of counsel that the churches uh, want or need from us. We try to maintain and guard the relationship between the uh, missionary and their sending church so that we're not intervening in a way that's not appropriate because at the end of the day, the church itself has the final say as to what's going on with their missionary. Um, but then the, the advantage of all this is that if they have our endorsement, then our local churches become aware of an RBMS missionary that they can then support financially and with prayer. They can have their prayer requests put in the monthly um, RBMS update or, or the um, uh, uh, missionary prayer focus guides that are given out every single month so that the churches can, uh, as it were, hold the ropes for our missionaries in very practical ways. So it helps them raise their support in a quicker time as opposed to someone who's having to run around deputizing in various churches to raise support from all kinds of different places. Right, right. So I didn't grow up in a Reformed church, and I can remember that process of being exposed to Reformed theology, and over time you begin to go, wow, this just makes so much sense. You know, here it is, clearly stated in Holy Scripture, and uh, it all fits together. Uh, that was a wonderful experience for me. 
but mm-hmm. after that, I began to also observe how Reformed uh, churches, and in particular ARPCA, how they go about doing ministry, and I had the same sort of experience. This makes sense, you know. This is the pattern that we see uh, in the New Testament. It fits with that, and practically, too, it makes a lot more sense. I've witnessed uh, missionaries who are sent out under agencies do the very thing you just described. Um, It's almost as if they spend most of their time, or a good chunk of their time at least, uh, trying to raise and maintain support from this very diverse group of people, individuals. Uh, Whereas what I see you doing here is that it's the local church that sends the man, it's the local church that supports the man primarily, and then also other local churches who are very much like-minded, being bound together in formal association, uh, get behind the man. So hopefully it alleviates some of that pressure um, from the missionary himself. Yes. And and because the missionaries that are sent are men who fully subscribe to our confession. Right who hold to our theological position papers, you know, although there's diversity even within our churches and our association, at the same time, you have this confidence that the same gospel we're preaching here is the same gospel being preached there. And uh, similar kind of churches of like precious faith are being planted. And so that's a great encouragement. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, brother, would you tell us um, a little bit about uh, the missionaries currently serving on the field and other RBMS endeavors. Um, give us a little bit of a glimpse into what is going on in our RBMS uh, currently. Yes, sir. Well, one of our, our missionaries has had the longest tenure is Stan Line, uh, Stan and Bev Line are in Bogota, Colombia, South America. Stan has been faithfully laboring there for over 50 years. He's sent out by Grace Baptist Church of Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and we're currently John Miller serves as pastor. And uh, Stan, if you meet him, will tell you that he's not done much and that his ministry has been poor. Interestingly enough, just recently, uh, some of the pastors in Colombia had a surprise party for him, and they rewarded him a plaque that said, called him the Reformer of Colombia. And they were able to trace about 100 churches whose pastors had been influenced by Stan Line over the years. And so he, the Lord has used him in far greater ways than Stan would uh, admit to. Uh, but he is now retired, but is still very, very faithful and active in evangelism and in preaching uh, the, in the gospel throughout Colombia. So uh, we're very thankful for, for Stan's faithfulness. Yeah. Another brother is Ramon Perron. Uh, Ramon, Ramon and Diane are in Quebec. And uh, he is sent out from the Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in La Mirada, California. And uh, has been, he's about to retire as well. So we need the Lord to raise up some more missionaries because our missionaries are retiring in a lot of ways. But uh, Ramon has planted churches. He's taught in seminaries. He's actually going to be an adjunct professor in the IRBS seminary in Texas, teaching missions and missiology there. And has been a very faithful brother over the years. Um, and he does a perfect Inspector Clouseau uh, imitation as well, if, you ever, if you're ever around him. <laughs> Our newest missionaries are Alan and Katie Beardmore, who were sent out by First Baptist Church in Clinton, Louisiana. Uh, Fred Malone was serving as the lead pastor there at the time, and, and um, uh, but uh, they have gone to Perth in the past. They've been there for two years, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, we had the privilege of having Alan to our church. Our church was the first to ever have him over uh, when he first was approved as a missionary. And, uh, and now to think of all the dreams he had then and now to see that there's a church established, Emmanuel Reformed Baptist Church in Perth, Australia, that did not exist at the time. Thus far, they've had five baptisms, 
including the two oldest sons of Alan and Katie. But the Lord is doing a good work of uh, establishing a church in that place, and they were right, they were constituted just a, less than a year ago now. And um, so thankful for what God is doing there. The other ministry we have is, well, two other ministries. We have military chaplains, of course, that are sponsored through ARBCA. Mm-hmm. And then we have our national pastor program, which national, national pastors are not missionaries sent out from the states. They are indigenous pastors within various local contexts that have a relationship with uh, member churches in ARBCA. And they are sponsored, not sent out, but sponsored by these particular nat- by these particular member churches. Mm-hmm. And we give them support through RBMS uh, on a seven-year pay scale generally. Uh, We begin by giving them maybe 80 to 100% of their salary, and then that decreases as the years go so that more and more they're weaned off of Western funds so that the church is becoming more and more self-supporting and taking care of their own pastors. Now, there are exceptions to that. Sometimes there's places that are so impoverished that it's just not possible for um, a— you know, the decrease to take place in seven years, uh, as we would ideally hope. But nonetheless, it's been a really uh, encouraging program because these are people who are native to the lands that they're in, uh, you know, planting churches and preaching in those churches and seeing elders raised up within their midst. So we currently have four national pastors. One is Matthew Brennan in Clonmel, Ireland, a um, very faithful brother who has labored uh, in evangelism uh, throughout Clonmel and his desire to see revival breakthrough. As you know, Ireland is a very uh, dark and a very hard place spiritually, and um, they've gone through some setbacks even in recent days by uh, repealing their Eighth Amendment, which forbade all forms of abortion. Mm-hmm. But Matt has remained very faithful in that place. Then we have uh, Davith Hughes of uh, Palmerston North New Zealand and Cross Point Church. Uh, Davith is a very faithful brother. He's bivocational, and uh, but has labored uh, very faithfully there, and very humble man, and very grateful for his work in New Zealand. And uh, the other two pastors are in a place I, I will keep silent, just because this you know is on on uh, social media and that kind of thing. Uh, but two brothers in a in a uh, in a land that have just recently been added as national pastors, uh, who are seeing a great work accomplished in the uh, in the land of their birth, and uh, seeing the Reformation spread throughout uh, that place. It's been a great encouragement to see what God's doing there. Wonderful. Could you describe some of the things that RBMS does in terms of um, providing education uh, to, to either churches or to those desiring to go on to the mission field to prepare them for, for missions work? Um, could you give us some insight into that? Yes, sir. Uh, that's something that we're very excited about that we get to do each year. Uh, each year, uh, several members of the RBMS committee teach a two-day conference called the ARCA School of World Missions. And the purpose of the school is to equip pastors and laymen and aspiring missionaries with solid biblical and confessional missiology to enable them to serve as senders or as supporters or as goers. And uh, the school is hosted in various regions of the United States by ARPCA member churches. This year's is being held at the Grace Covenant Church in Gilbert, Arizona, uh, on Monday and Tuesday, October 22nd and 23rd. John DeRizzo is the pastor there. And folks can register on ARPCA's website. Uh, they just go there and, and click on World Missions, and you'll find something about the School of World Missions. But it is a sweet time of getting together and talking about missions. We've had laymen come up to us over the years and tell us how they didn't realize just how much was involved in missions and having a better understanding of what uh, of what is of what goes on, uh, what a missionary is to do. 
And um, so that's always been an exciting time. We usually have a book table that sells really good books on missions and, and exposes people to good missiology and, and some bio- we do some, a little bit of theology, uh, theological foundations of world missions. We talk about the calling of a missionary, what the involvement of the local church is, what RBMS's part is. And then we do some biographical sketches of men from church history who've been involved in missions, beginning with John Calvin. And uh, talking about how he was actively involved and proactive in missions. And then I have the privilege, sometimes I, I teach on William Carey, the father of modern missions. Sometimes I teach on Samuel Pierce, Carey's good friend. Uh, Carey was a man who went, was sent out to the mission field. Pierce was a man who stayed behind and held the ropes for those who were sent out. And so um, it's a great joy to talk about our heroes of the faith and, and to talk about their how God used them to advance the cause of world missions. Mm-hmm. If I can interrupt for just a moment, uh, I, I, I thought the presentation that you gave at this last ARBCA GA uh, was just outstanding. Uh, you, you gave a biography on uh, Samuel Pierce, right? Yes, sir. And, and uh, it was very moving uh, for both my wife and I to hear. And so I appreciate the work you put into that, brother. And, and I'm going to plug it here and to say uh, that, that folks should go and find that uh, teaching online. I'm sure it's available on the ARBCA website somewhere or on Sermon Audio, right? Do you know where it is by chance? I believe it is on Ar- ARBCA's website, if I'm not mistaken. I think all the messages were posted recently okay. there from the National Assembly. So, uh, yes. But that was a, a great presentation, very moving in terms of uh, our, our need to hold the rope for those who go. And uh, so I very much recommend that people find that but uh, go on brother i'm sorry to interrupt you there but i would have forgot to say it if i didn't interrupt so no that, that, that's fine um we're also working on putting the content of the school of missions into written form uh arca coordinator steve martin pastor john miller and myself are producing a 12 chapter book called the glory of god among all nations and the subtitle is recovering a biblical and confessional baptist missiology our chapters are actually due at the end of this month so pray for us for our deadline yeah and the hope is that it will be published uh, by April of next year, just in time for our next ARPCA General Assembly. It will also be the first book ever published, God willing, under ARPCA's own banner. Uh, the Literature Publication Committee is uh, going to have our own imprint, and so the first book ever to come out of that imprint is going to be uh, a book on missions, which is exciting to me. It's very exciting. These are very exciting times for a number of reasons, uh, but I'm, I'm glad to hear of uh, this sort of work being done um, that's wonderful. Anything else um, in terms of education that you wanted to mention? Those are the only things now. Um, you know, I, I think the IRBS seminary, mm-hmm. I'm thankful to have missiology being taught there. Um, one of the things I'm very passionate about is missiology is very often taught by people who are not really gifted theologians. Mm-hmm. It tends to be a very all-theological kind of thing. And then when it is taught in seminaries where there is good theology— um, very often it's relegated to sort of an elective course rather than a part of the integrated whole. But, you know, the Bible is a missions book from, from cover to cover. Uh, someone has said that when Adam hid himself in the woods, God went out to the bush to find him, and that's where you have the start of world missions. And it continues all through the book of the Revelation. So you know, missions is a part of our covenant theology. It's the fact that you know, it's not just Jews that Jesus came to die for. He came to die for men, women, boys, and girls from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So missions is all over the Bible. And so it should be an integrated whole in terms of seminaries as well. And I know 
the uh, president of the RVS, uh, Jim Renahan, is a very missions-minded man who has a lot of international connections, and so I'm excited to see you know to, to see uh, an, an emphasis upon missions in our seminary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. That's wonderful. So, what would you what would you say to to, um, to someone who asked you the question? Are all Christians to engage in world missions? Are all Christians to engage in world missions? Yes, absolutely. And I I love that question because I'm very passionate about this. Um, It's really a part of why we do the School of World Missions because School of World Missions isn't just for men who are being sent out as missionaries. It's for pastors. It's for laymen. It's for the churchgoer, the average man and woman in the pew. And my rationale for that comes really from the scriptures in Romans chapter 10. We, you know, everybody knows as Calvinists, we all know about Romans chapter 8 and the golden chain of redemption that is given there. But just two chapters later, we have what I like to call the golden chain of world missions. And so I'm going to read verse 13 and go down through verse 17. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And, of course, verse 17 says, Faith then comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Paul gives us five links in the chain, but he gives us to them, gives them to us in reverse order. He goes from, from effect to cause. So the first thing, the first link in that chain is that we must call upon God to have mercy upon our souls. But we can't call on God if we don't have faith in God. And that's the second link is faith. But how can we believe? How can we have faith in him if we have never heard of Christ? And that's the, that's the third link is hearing. But you can't hear without a preacher. That's the fourth link. But then the first link is the preacher must be sent. They must be sent. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I was in a Bible college that had a good reputation for its enthusiasm for missions But sometimes some of the mission students themselves, not our professors, but the mission students in chapel would say things like, well, if you can't be a goer, at least you can be a sender. And those words at least seem to imply that somehow you weren't as spiritual if you stayed behind and were a sender. But according to Paul, those who send are as important to the cause of world missions as those who are sent. Uh, one of our missionaries, Alan Beardmore, he said, you know, you can't go to the moon if you don't have a solid uh, launching pad to launch from, mm-hmm. meaning you've got to have a solid local church that can support you and send you out. And so uh, in the Golden Chain of World Missions, it is the responsibility of the church to be a sending agency. Uh, we mentioned William Carey earlier. It's interesting. Andrew Fuller, he was the first president of the particular Baptist Missionary Society, by the way. William Carey, the father of modern missions, was a Calvinist. He was a Calvinistic Baptist. So the very father of modern missions was was Calvinistic. But these men were young when they sent out William Carey to India. They didn't really know what they were doing. This was all new ground for them, terra incognita for sure. And looking back upon it, he wrote famously and said this, quote, Our undertaking in India really appeared to me at its commencement to be somewhat like penetrating into a deep mine, which had never been before been explored. While we were thus deliberating, Carey, as it were, said, Well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. But before he went down, he, as it seemed to me, took an oath from each of us at the mouth of the pit to this effect, that while we lived, we should never let go the rope. And that tells us that that missions is the work of all of us. That if I'm not called to go, 
I may be called to hold the ropes. And I believe all of us as God's people are meant to hold the ropes. And I like to use the analogy that if I'm to hold the ropes, I need to have strong spiritual biceps to be able to hold on to those ropes, which means I need biblical missiology in my blood. And so I'm very passionate about that with all Christians, that we all need to know something of missiology um, from the perspective of being able to hold the ropes for those that are sent. Yeah. Amen. One of the things that was so encouraging about this last year's ARBCA General Assembly, I'm talking about the 2018 ARBCA General Assembly, there was just such a heavy emphasis both on church planting and world missions. It it just came through loud and clear, and it was so exciting. I'm glad for our Reformed theology. Um, I'm glad we're standing up for it and defending it, but it has to translate into kingdom work. It has to translate into church planting locally and church planting to the ends of the earth, we call it missions. Uh, and it was very encouraging to see the association um, really fix its attention on that. And not just theoretically either. It wasn't just as if they chose to speak on that subject, but things are happening, and that's what was exciting. It was exciting to see church planters stand up and yes. uh, you, you know, uh, talk about their work and be encouraged in their work, and then to hear about uh, the work of RBMS also. Uh, mm-hmm. Very exciting times, and... and uh, you know, we're excited to see what the Lord will do with this in the future. But how can we be praying for RBMS, uh, for you in particular, uh, Jerry, but uh, for, for RBMS uh, in general? Sure. Well, there, there's three things come to mind. That's a very good question. Three things come to mind. The, the first and biggest thing is this. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest field. Mm-hmm. Uh, from within our member churches, it's wonderful to see men engaged in planting churches in our own uh, country, and we need that, and that's just as spiritual as the work of, of world missions. But to see some men raised up as well who want to go over and be church planters uh, would be a phenomenal thing. And, uh, and you know, God has done that over the years. We want to see him doing more of that. And um, one specific thing that I find myself praying is that the Lord would raise up men two by two. You know, throughout Scripture, you have this pattern. Jesus sent out his apostles into the cities he was about to visit, but he sent them out two by two. And then he sent out the 70, and he sent them out two by two. When God called Paul and Barnabas, he sent out two men. And even when Paul and Barnabas had a separation, then God raised up other men for them. Um, John Mark went with Barnabas, but you have uh, Silas uh, being raised up to go with, with Paul. And so this idea that two are better than one, and particularly in the loneliness and the burdens that are born in, on the mission field and all the culture shock you go through, to have a brother alongside of you to help you in the labor, I think is a phenomenal thing. So I'm finding myself praying more and more, Lord, raise up men of like precious faith who can go out and be sent out two by two and uh, go into all the earth to, to preach the gospel and to plant churches. Um, the second request would be praying just for wisdom for our committee as we learn how to better service our missionaries. Um, one of the, th- the practical things we have to work through is none of us, we're all pastors. We're not, um, we're not uh, accountants or experts in international tax law and things like that. So we want to know better how to service our, our men so that when they go over and they're receiving funds, uh, we can find the best ways to help them so that uh, they can get the most bang for their buck, as it were. Because, um, you know, you have issues of uh, you're a citizen of the United States, but you live in another country. And so how does tax work with all that kind of thing? 
the final thing would just be praying, asking prayer for the School of World Missions and for our forthcoming book, that the Spirit of God would be pleased to equip the saints for His own glory through those, uh, through those means, that the Spirit of God would own uh, the teaching with great power, and uh, that it would be used even to see men called to the mission field, to see men, people equipped, whether as goers or senders, to see churches excited about the cause of world missions with a sustained kind of zeal and excitement. So those are the things that come to mind. Well, amen, brother. And uh, we we will be in prayer uh, about these things. Uh, one thing I've been happy about um, now that our church has come into ARBCA, uh, ARBCA communicates pretty well. We get a weekly update from ARBCA uh, with uh, some quotes and some prayer focuses and, and so on and so forth. But also uh, RBMS, uh, there, there's a missions focus. Is it once a month that gets sent out? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Okay, yeah. And um, we take that and we forward it along to our people and, and uh, so encourage them to pray through it. But uh, people can also subscribe to that, I would imagine, somehow by emailing uh, ARBCA and requesting mm-hmm. to be added to that list. But uh, that would be a really beneficial thing, too, because there are a lot of details given in that prayer guide uh, so that people can pray um, intelligently. Uh, yes, sir. And if, you, and if you use that, it has a request, at least one request for each day of the month. Mm-hmm. And then if you read the quarterly ARPCA update, there are letters from our missionaries and national pastors. So between the two, you can get a good sense of, of who these men are and what they're doing, what they're involved in. And um, so it's exciting stuff. Yeah. Is it okay that I promoted that as I did? Uh, Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I didn't Please. know if they wanted to disseminate that through the pastors and to the people or if people can uh, just uh, request to be on that list. Um, so I, I'm still the new guy, so forgive me. Um, well, Jerry, I appreciate so much uh, you taking the time to share all of this with us. Um, I'm excited about it, and I pray that our people will be excited about it too. And may the Lord just richly bless uh, the work of RBMS. Um, we will pray that the Lord would send out more workers into the harvest and that he would do so two by two. Um, and so, again, thank you so much, brother. And uh, I, I know you work very hard. Um, people probably don't uh, realize how much time you put into this, uh, but it doesn't go unnoticed. We we appreciate it very much, brother. Well, as I tell people, if this is torture, chain me to the wall because I love it. Good. It's, it's <laughs> very cool. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, uh, to the listener, I say thanks again for listening in to uh, Confessing the Faith, and um, please do check back with us to see if we happen to post some new episodes. I've been terrible at getting them out. I still have it as my objective to put them out regularly. Uh, so do check back with us, and until next time, abide in Christ. Mm-hmm.